0: All right.
1: Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, winning streak time. Oh my God, a winning streak time. People unhappy after a 30-7 Tennessee win time. Throwback time. Cold weather time, which is sad time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker studio. Hope everyone out there is having a good Monday morning. Unless it's not Monday morning where you're when you're listening to this. Maybe it's Monday afternoon. Maybe it's Monday evening. Maybe it's uh, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening. Gosh knows when it might be. But it's not just me coming to you guys uh, from this podcast. Uh, I'm the only one here in the studio but uh, thanks to the modern miracle that is Al Gore's internets, we've got Patrick Brown from his house uh, and Ryan Callahan from his house. And later in the third segment, we will have Grant Ramey from his house. So, fellas, what's up? What's going on at your houses this evening? This morning, I should say.
0: That's none of your business. Is what's going on <laughs> at my house?
1: <laughs> I was I was really hoping you would say that. I would. I was. I, I put that one on a T for you, Pat. Put that one what on I a T for you.
0: What I do at my house is what I do at my house. <laughs> You <laughs> got a point
1: <laughs> which is probably nothing but uh, Pat, uh ryan uh, what's going on at your house also the same nothing uh from from your uh undescribed location of your house is there something anonymous going on that you don't want to discuss also or are you not going to run swanson this
2: I, I don't know how this turned into like the the implication of illicit behavior going on at my house it sounded like but uh yeah it's but we're
1: doing fine. <laughs> you know who else is doing fine guys uh relatively speaking is a Tennessee football team ba- bouncing back from a I uh, believe a 1 and 4 start now the Vols are up to 4 and 5 after uh guys a winning streak Tennessee out there winning football games the Vols defeat UAB 30 to 7 on Saturday night at a chilly Neyland Stadium and and guys I think we got a lot to break down with this game but there were there was some concern coming into this game because UAB had played a very, very weak schedule, actually the, the weakest schedule in college football, but UAB is a team that had played seven games and won six of them. And UAB is a team that's got maybe a couple future pros at wide receiver. Uh, it's got one of the highest ranked defenses in college football. So regardless of the level of competition, there was some concern there. Tennessee had a big win the week before over South Carolina. Some people worried about, you know, will they kind of overlook this? Will this kind of be a trap game? Will they be focused? Uh, what will it be like when they're playing a team that's used to winning all the time? Would Tennessee's kind of losing habits creep back in at that point? No. Uh, Tennessee came out there from the very beginning and and played not a great football game, on, especially Especially on the offensive side, um, but but played pretty pretty well, pretty decently overall and kind of had a a workmanlike business like win, maybe you would say. Is that how you would describe it, Pat? It just kinda seemed like a you know, it could have been better, but especially on offense, but they got the job done.
0: Yeah, I, I think it was sort of a routine victory. I mean, this is how Tennessee is supposed to win these kind of games. Um now, obviously you could you could play a lot better if you're if you're the coaching staff, if you're the players, you're gonna be feeling like you can play a lot better. Uh, than you did but you you don't want to have uh, a lot of drama uh you were able to get some guys uh, some experience late in the game in the second half because you're up thirty to nothing um you you're able to kind of you know, you didn't have to play daryl taylor sixty five snaps you know he, he this well, there's a lot of guys on this team that are banged up and you got uh, you didn't have to play some of those guys the full four quarters so uh, I think at this point of the season uh, I still don't think Tennessee's at a point at its program where it can over overly complain about a game it wins as comfortably as they won uh on saturday night so uh, yeah the defense um you know played great four turnovers is really what <clears throat> was the difference in the game the offense wasn't uh really didn't have a good night at all and if not for the turnovers um you know it would have been a much closer game but obviously you know, he, you know those turnovers happened tennessee forced them. tennessee's defense was in position a lot of times they made those plays and um that was the difference in the game and Uh, at at this point after a four game grueling stretch against a team that uh, I know UAB schedule is what it is, but you know, they were six and one, they've won 25 games over the last two and a half seasons. Uh, I think if you're Tennessee, it's, it's, it's hard to get too. It's hard to be too negative about a a game that, that they, that went how it went on Saturday night.
2: Yeah. This is kind of the way uh, I think the, the way games like this often turn out and it's a good thing when it, when it can become routine when it hasn't been routine the way it's been for Tennessee in recent years. But I, you know, they kind of, they kind of just gradually choked, (laughs) got a stranglehold on UAB, you know, they, they just, uh, and that's, that's what, you know, when you dominate the line of scrimmage, when you just have more talent across the board, that's often how it happens. It wasn't a particularly overwhelming performance, but they just took control the early turnover certainly helped. Uh, But I, I think this is a good sign too, that Tennessee could go out there and sure, the turnovers had a lot to do with it, but in a game where they didn't play all that great on offense and where they didn't have any you know, amazing individual efforts uh, besides Bryce Thompson, obviously, with three interceptions, but beside, besides that, a pretty workmanlike effort across the board, and on a night like that, you can still win by 23. I mean, that, that to me, and against a team that was 6-1 and one going into this game, this isn't Chattanooga uh, where, where they won 45 nothing earlier in the year when they weren't even playing that well. This is a team that some people thought was capable of coming into Neyland stadium and winning. So the fact that you can take care of a game like that in such routine looking fashion where fans still can pick apart some things and you still come away with a 23 point win against a solid team. That's a very good sign. I think and another clear sign now two weeks in a row uh, of, of kind of the growth this team has had just on the line of scrimmage and the secondary where they're, they're able to do enough things well in, in the course of a game that even though they're not executing perfectly, that this is clearly a very different team. And, and to me, this sort of validates what we saw against South Carolina a week ago. We were wondering if they could kind of keep that up. And this shows me they can, that, that again, without Brian Maurer, they're able to get through a game like this and get good enough quarterback play and just sort of take care of business in, in a game that, that some people thought could have been a little bit scary for them. So this is another good sign to me and uh, that Tennessee really has things has things kind of going uh, in the right direction down the stretch. And this this gives them a chance to you know, sort of build some momentum here, and if they can, if they can find a way to beat some solid SEC teams down the stretch and, and build off this, that this could be a very strong end of the season.
1: Well, guys, we don't normally take phone calls on this podcast, but I think we have a, a Brent Samaglia online too, and he wants to say that uh, he also played a really good football game on Saturday night, yeah. Ryan, and he said special. He, I think he said, uh, kickers matter too. Kickers' feelings <laughs> matter. Kicker, kickers' performances matter. And uh, I, I, I'm kidding here, but but really. Brent Magley has had just one hell of a season and he went out there and, and had maybe the best game of his career on Saturday night. You know, it, it's, you always wonder about how kicking is going to go on a night when it's kind of chilly outside and the quarterbacks are having a little bit of trouble gripping the ball at times. And, he goes out there, and he goes three for three with a couple of bombs, including a 53-yarder, which was a career high for him. And he's now 18 of 20 this season, uh, including uh, eight for nine uh, on kicks of 40-plus yards. So uh, I would say Brent Simaglia had a pretty good night.
2: No, I, I think you're exactly right, not not to not to discount him at all by saying that, you know, I, I just sort of pointed to offensive and defensive players more so. But, yeah, that, I mean, that, that did make a big difference in this game because Tennessee – you know, again, failed to finish some drives. You know, the first the first drive of the game. You know, UAB turns it over on the first play. A bad pass that Bryce Thompson picks off returns to the 19. Tennessee's got great field position. You're thinking they're going to punch it in quickly and, and sort of take control of that game from the from the outset. And they get one yard on the ensuing series uh, and have to settle for a field goal. So to, just to have those kinds of missed opportunities and and not capitalize on them. You know, Smaglia sort of. Uh, allowed them to gloss over it a little bit by hitting all three of those kicks, including that 53 yarder, which I, you know, Jeremy Pruitt at times has not been willing to try those kicks from that range. So to even give him a shot in that situation, I thought was a, uh, a positive step and shows kind of the trust he's developed in Tennessee staff. But uh, I, I, yeah, I think that was a big deal. The fact that, you know, he hit those three kicks, made it 23, nothing at halftime. And without a couple of them, it could have been 17, nothing game that was much more within reach for UAB. And instead they went in with a comfortable lead and were able to kind of just sit on that lead in the second half and, and not worry about having to, to, to put more points on the scoreboard to, to put it away. So uh, that, that was a big deal. And, and, and Hey, he's, he's a guy that deserves to be in the running for, for some major uh, national awards and all America teams and stuff like that. If he keeps this up, he's having a great season and already is what Tennessee's all time leader. And at least as things stand and, and field goal percentage, that, that, is like that is correct. That is correct. Jeff Hall and John Bexford, all the good kickers they've had at Tennessee over the years, the the Revezes, uh, all those guys. To to be able to, to be in that kind of company and leading the pack uh, as a junior, very impressive. And he's having a great year.
0: Yeah, you know, he he leads the SEC and, and field goals made. Now he's got 18 on the season. He's 18 to 20. Uh, he leads the SEC second. Uh, excuse me, third nationally with in terms of made field goals. His percentage is also. Uh, top what is it top 15 nationally so uh he's having a great year he's been arguably tennessee's most reliable player um and so uh yeah the 53 yarder was that was really impressive to me i you know uh, that was a, a drive where tennessee lost five yards they had a minus five scoring drive. that was a play win uh jared garantano and i he he thought there was going to be a draw i don't think the running back thought it would be a draw and he kind of fumbled it they were lucky to get back on it but um you know, they're sitting there at the 36. You want to, you know, it's fourth and long. What are you gonna do? I'm like, oh, they're gonna trot the field goal team out there, and and Smag-O-Labor rewarded the staff's uh, trust in him, and 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 uh, hit that one through. So that was uh, that was a really big kick for him. And and he, like you said, Ryan, he made sure that uh, Tennessee didn't squander those opportunities off those turnovers more than uh, than they than they might have otherwise if he doesn't come through for him.
1: Yeah, and, and I think you know, you, you Pat, you mentioned about the the fact that that was a fifty three yarder, and, and Ryan, you mentioned, you know that 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 was that was a deal where where you, you know Pruitt's not necessarily wanted to kick those things before, um, but I thought what made it even more difficult was the fact that Pruitt for just a split second kind of had some indecision on that. And, and I think the field goal unit got rushed out there a little bit quicker than you'd like to, especially for a kick of that length on a cold night. And they barely got that thing off before the play clock expired. And, you know, he, he went up there and he he kind of got rushed out there, and he but he, he he took as much time as he could and dialed it in. And I don't know if he hit it the best he could possibly hit it, but he hit it good enough for 53 yards. Any Any kick that goes in from that far is a heck of a kick. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's having a – having a heck of a season and we're going to talk a little bit more about the quarterbacks in particular when we get to the second segment of this podcast because you know quarterback play just is what it is at this point and it's going to be something that has to be discussed on its own but i don't think guys when you look at the red zone offense for tennessee the quarterback obviously plays a huge role in that there's no question but i, I think there's a lot of other things that are going wrong in the red zone and i don't know that all of it just goes on the quarterback. When you are as bad as Tennessee is, and, and Tennessee, Tennessee's red zone offense statistically improved on Saturday night. That's how bad it was going into the game. Tennessee is one hundred and twenty-seventh nationally in touchdown percentage in the red zone. That's what it was going into that game. And no one player is ever going to cause that. What in the world is wrong with this team in, the, in scoring range in the red zone? Because red zone numbers don't even count those drives that get inside the 35 when you're in scoring range and, and then kind of go kaput, which Tennessee's done several times this year. What are they doing when they get to scoring range, and why has this become such a gargantuan challenge?
2: Well, I, I, I think this might be sort of the result of Tennessee just not being very dominant in any one particular area. I think when you get into, you know, space is tighter, obviously when you get inside the 20, I think, I think you just, you know, you have to win one-on-one matchups. Your offensive line has to blow people off the ball in the run game. And I don't know that they're, aside from Jawan Jennings, I don't know if they have anybody on that side of the ball who's really doing that on a consistent basis. So it comes down to executing perfectly a quarterback, making a great throw, a running back making an exceptional run things like that it just gets harder and i don't think their offensive line while it's taking a lot of strides i don't think they're to the point where they're just bowling people over yet and that makes it tough to run the ball when you get down there so their quarterback play obviously has been what it is this year sort of you know very inconsistent some turnovers as we saw you know garantano throwing one in the end zone uh in this game so so they've they've just not executed well enough consistently and when you're not just blowing people over at the line of scrimmage, it makes it tough. And I think they've had to sort of scheme some things up and they've, they've moved the ball well between the twenties, but it's just a little bit easier to move it uh, at that part of the field. So I think just the fact that they're, they're not an exceptional offense, they're not going to blow people away with, with, with points in most games. I think that's just sort of been accentuated inside the 20 because they, you know, again, maybe they just need to force feed the ball to Juwan Jennings because he is the one guy who has been able to make those plays in the red zone and really anywhere on the field. But aside from that, I, I just don't see, this team being overpowering enough in any one spot to score consistently. And that's kind of been the problem. And that's why I think you saw them sort of throw Juwan Jennings out there in the wildcat. And they're going to try Lars crouch more. It looks like we saw him outside the 20, uh, getting a carry in this game. Uh, so they're, they're trying some more things clearly to to spark this offense that, uh, just needs to try some different things and get something going in the red zone.
0: Yeah. I I think the, the issue with, uh, you know, when when you get down in the red zone defense is um the, the advantage kind of shifts to them because there's less space for them to cover um and, and you can be you can honestly be more aggressive because y- you know there's less field to cover and your guys can potentially you can take more risk defensively because you can you can create pressure and don't have to cover as long the windows are tighter um when you're throwing the ball and so when you get down there you'd like to be able to just kind of pound it however much is left for you to get um and and Tennessee, just, you know, they don't have the big overpowering backs. They don't have, um, they have an offensive line that has shown it can overpower people at times, but there's still a lot of inconsistency. I think we saw that Saturday night. Uh, Tennessee's offensive line overall struggled some, um, but they still had a few really good plays up front where they blocked it really well and had some, uh, some huge holes. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, I, I would look for them to honestly. You know, they tried the, the Kovar's crouch package. I think he should have scored on that play. It looked like he kind of uh, got stopped when he shouldn't have. And then they went to Juwan Jennings. And I'm wondering if, you know, for those goal, for those, you know, kind of goal to goal, goal to go goal line situations, that's tough to say. Yeah, you got um, it. You got
1: it. Keep, keep going, buddy. You got it. Uh,
0: uh, when you get down and, you know, inside the five, just snap it to 15. He's the guy that's the hardest, ar- arguably the hardest player on Tennessee's offense to take down. Um, he's going to run and 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 he's going to he's going to find the seam and hit it with everything he's got and, um, and maybe that's what you need down there. I do think they need to keep trying to use Crouch in that situation. Uh, maybe they even need to throw another defensive lineman back there. They had Latrell Bumpus as the fullback. Uh, I think earlier it was Greg Emerson, but um, yeah. And, and honestly, even if at this point a step forward for Tennessee's red zone offense will be just don't turn the ball over. Don't throw the, you know, don't throw the interception in the end zone. Jerry Garantano made a bad throw off his back foot. It got picked off in the end zone. Uh, he even said after the game, it was a stupid decision, a stupid throw. He shouldn't make it. Uh, he, he, he knows better than that. And, and even if he, you know, throws the ball out of the back of the end zone and, and doesn't turn it over there, they've got three points in the back pocket. So uh, some of the just mistakes that they've had in the red zone, uh and bad execution they they know they've got to shore it up that interception didn't really come out uh, come back to haunt them against uab because they were already up 23 nothing but uh in some of these games down the stretch these last three games they're going to need to take advantage of those scoring opportunities because uh, you look at kentucky that game looks like it's going to be kind of a slugfest could be a score you know points right at a premium kind of game there you go to missouri they can score so when you have the opportunity to score you need to make sure you do so and and, and sort of the same with vanderbilt yeah that's a team you should beat but you squander scoring opportunities you let them hang around and then you're going in more of a game than you should be so uh definitely that that's one area from uh from from saturday night that i think moving forward tennessee needs to address and, and certainly i think the offensive line uh is the other situation that you know they're banged up up there they're trying to mix and match some guys up front um tackles really struggle but uh, i think you got to give uab some credit i think they have some good players up front and um and, and there's a reason they had twenty six sacks on the season and they gave Tennessee some fits, uh, especially in pass protection.
1: He yeah, had a big
2: nose tackle up front too.
1: Yeah, that that do fair, man. He had a he had a he had a heck of a game. Uh, that guy gave Brandy Candy all he wanted. Um and, and I think it, you made a, a really good point there, Pat. Something that we needed to mention that you know, I, I think it's easy sometimes to to go after the quarterback because it's a convenient target. And in Jarrett Garantano's case, I think he's made himself a, a target sometimes by some of his bad decisions and, and, and bad mistakes and bad throws and all that stuff. Uh, but Tennessee's offensive line in general had been one of the most improved spots on the team throughout the season. That had become a pretty solid group. Saturday was the first time in, in, in a while that it kind of took a step back. You know, this is the same team or, or, you know, without a couple guys, obviously, but a lot of the same players who pushed Alabama's defense off the ball a good bit in that game. And that didn't happen against UAB. Uh, they got whipped up front a lot. Wanya Morris had a had a really, really rough game, uh, a terrible first half. Uh, and Brandon Kennedy got pushed around a little bit more than we've seen in a while. And Marcus Tatum had the kind of game that he has sometimes where he just kind of get, gets outmanned. And I know they missed Darnell Wright, and I know they missed Jameer Johnson, but th- that was not a really good performance by that group. That group had kind of been training in the right direction, guys, but Saturday was was, was rough there. Ty Chandler had a couple nice runs. Other than that, they didn't do much.
0: Yeah, that, that was uh, – they kind of looked like the 2018 version of the offensive line where uh, they have some good plays, but then they don't block a guy and it's four-yard loss. Um, or they have a guy just get beat and, or he doesn't get across and get you know scraped to the linebacker. Uh, and, you, and you guys mentioned Tony Farrell. He's listed at six three three thirty five. No way. That's generously low.
1: No yeah. way. That dude, if that dude's not three fifty, I don't know who is.
0: Um, and that, you know, that, that's an example of good recruiting by UAB that they found this junior college transfer. Who's just, you know, he, he's out there giving fits to, uh, SEC offensive lines, but you know, that's the thing with, with those tackles and centers that, you know, kind of saw it with Kennedy against West Virginia last year. It's kind of a, it's a battle where both sides are going to win something. That's just sort of the nature of, of that position. But uh, I do think one guy that did not have any trouble um, was Trey Smith. He continues yeah. to just maul people. Yeah, he he uh, he
1: he hurts people.
0: The only thing that he had go wrong was he got targeted and they didn't call it. Um, and, and you know they they kind of rotate a little bit in there too. You know they got Riley Locklear in there at right guard. I thought he had some nice plays. I think he um, had a really good block when when Chandler hit that thirty-one yard run. I think Locklear had a nice block too on on sort of opening that cutback lane for Chandler on his touchdown. Um, and so he kind of was platooned in there with Jerome Carvin. Uh, they brought Karon Calvert in at right tackle too. You know, Marcus Tatum actually played both tackle spots cause they pulled Wanye who's, um, you know, to his credit, I think gave up a sack and then he gave up like two hits and three plays. Uh, and then he came back in the second half and, and was okay. Um, you like to see sort of the bounce back ability from a freshman like that. So, uh, yeah, the, the tackles I think had probably a worse night than maybe the centers and the guards, but, um, yeah, you, they need to get Darnell right back. They didn't have Jameer Johnson either. He's another guy that probably would have been at tackle if he's healthy. Yes. Uh, probably would have played over uh, Marcus Hayden no based doubt. on how they played against South Carolina. So, um, you know, they're just banged up on the offensive line, but that's that's sort of how the whole team is. You're you're about to play your sixth game in as many weeks. Uh, it's that point of the year where everybody's playing with bumps and bruises. And it's like Bryce Thompson said, Alabama's got players banged up. Georgia's got players banged up. Tennessee's got players banged up too. Um, and, and a couple of them are on the offensive line, and they're just going to have to kind of – dig deep and find a way here to try to find two more wins to get to six uh, and maybe even get three more wins. If they do that, that would be even more impressive. But uh, yeah, the offensive line, it was a little bit of a, maybe a step back, but uh, if they get those guys healthy, I think they could be okay. And, and maybe they just need to play better and execute better uh, against Kentucky next week.
2: Yeah. And I, I also wonder, you know, were, were there some schematic things that were a little bit different? I, I, I need to go back and, and watch the game again, but just thinking back on it, I I, I remember seeing maybe a little more, two tight ends and, uh, you know, eye formation, things like that, than, than we may be seen in, in past games. And I think that allowed UAB to stay in its 3-4 look a little bit more than maybe they saw against Alabama and teams like that. And, and I wonder if that, you know, 3-4 defenses kind of caused some problems when you have a pretty good defensive line and, and maybe Tennessee not matching up very well with that in some situations. Oh, yeah, there's,
1: there's, no, there's no defense in football, no base defense better than a really good 3-4, and there's no – Worse base, you know, base defense in football than a really bad three four. A three yeah. four is the you know it can be either the best or the worst. It's just kind of that's just how it is with that look.
2: Yeah, and and they're going to face a couple more of those down the stretch. Kentucky, I believe, still runs a lot of three uh, four. Vanderbilt always has under Derek Mason, so I, that's, that's something to maybe keep in mind. I, I'll be interested in seeing how Tennessee tr- tries to kind of scheme up things offensively. But uh, I think it probably had more to do though with the offensive line injuries, and that's like you said, Patrick. They need to get some guys healthy and it just just also i mean that's that's part of november football at the same time you've got everybody's got the, those kinds of bumps and bruises that's where i think this open date coming up for tennessee after the kentucky game might be a really huge deal uh, everybody getting a second open date this year uh, i think is going to help teams across the country if it's not already helping and certainly tennessee getting some guys uh an extra week of rest before those final two games against missouri and vanderbilt really might make a difference especially on the offensive line um uh, Got to point out too on defense, you know, getting Daryl Taylor back uh, after after his uh, knee contusion, I guess uh, it was that Jeremy Pruitt called it this week was a, was a big deal, and he, he played pretty well, I thought Saturday night coming off an injury like that. So uh, you know, getting some guys back and uh, and and in the in the mix on defense, helping with that pretty solid performance that could have been a shutout. What was was a big deal too. So you know, it wasn't a perfect game by any means, but uh, to to have enough of a pass rush to cause some errant throws that led to you know bryce thompson's really nice game with three interceptions uh you know what first first to have three picks in a game at tennessee since Dion grant back in 99 against auburn If yep. you remember that game where oh, yeah. he had the interception return for a touchdown the first play from scrimmage yep. um so that, that's some pr- pretty good company when you got a kicker um uh, doing what samaglia has done and, and and kind of going into the ut record books and having having bryce thompson go into the record books for most interceptions in a game uh in quite some time those, those are those are positive signs and this is the a team that you know, even on a night when their offensive line wasn't great, quarterback play wasn't exceptional, did a lot of things right and found a way to get it done pretty easily.
1: Yeah, speaking of quarterbacks, Ryan, I think we, we're going to have to take a quick break. We're going to have to go pay some bills. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about quarterbacks, though, because as always, they were uh, quite the the point of contention and discussion after that game. So uh, enjoy these products and services and in house ads and whatnot, and uh, we'll be back in just a second to talk a little bit about Tennessee's quarterback situation. Hashtag add Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products and and services and in-house ads and other good things you may have heard just a second ago unless you're one of those people who hits the fast forward button and you know what that's your decision however you want to live your life Uh, but we appreciate you listening to the sponsors because that helps uh, that helps keep this thing going guys uh, we spoke a little bit in general about that Tennessee UAB game in the first segment uh Tennessee 30, UAB 7, kind of a workman-like win. Nothing nothing to get too excited about uh, either way. But um, what did get some people excited again was this quarterback situation at Tennessee because Jeremy Pruitt said throughout the week that he thought all three quarterbacks would be available which was interesting because one of those quarterbacks has been in the concussion protocol twice in eight days, and the other one just recently had uh, some screws inserted into a broken wrist or hand on, uh, in his non-throwing hand, but still um, a surgery to, to fix a broken bone. So uh, having all three of those guys available would have been really, really interesting. As it turned out, Tennessee used just two of them, J.T. Shrout for the second consecutive week was more or less the starting quarterback. I know technically it was Juwan Jennings against South Carolina, but really uh, it was J.T. Shrout, and, and then he started again against South Carolina, I mean again against UAB, uh, and against the Gamecocks he goes out after two possessions, and against um, against the Blazers he comes out after one possession because he made a throw across his body across the field on third down and Jeremy Pruitt did not like that at all. So he went to Jared Garantano, who after uh, basically six days after having surgery to, to put that screw in there, he's out there looking like um, Luke Skywalker or Michael Jackson with that big old glove covering that cast on his left hand. On a cold night, he goes out there and he does some good things. I'm not going to say that he played great football. He made a couple of uh, glaring mistakes. Uh, but he goes out there, completes thirty of twenty or thirteen of twenty-one passes, 147 yards, one touchdown, one bad interception, and he helps Tennessee kind of navigate that game pretty comfortably despite uh, not having Brian Mauer. After the game though, I thought it was interesting though, because Jerry Garantano, he might be, and I I think you could argue guys that he is Tennessee's best chance to win games without um, Brian Maurer available. And a lot of people just don't want to buy that. And, and I, I understand why. Because a lot of us, quite frankly, were surprised at the way Brian Maurer played when he first got out there. I think a lot of us were kind of pleasantly surprised by the way he went out there and performed. And then J.T. Stroud goes out there and with a limited game plan, he, he kind of has one really, really nice pass there to Callaway for a touchdown against the Gamecocks. And people think, oh, well, he's got to be better than Garantano. And I, I just don't think that's the case, guys. Am I wrong there?
0: No, I, I think it's pretty uh, – my, my two cents on this, or my, my synopsis two cents, whatever. Uh, the fact that they're out there playing Garantano basically with one hand um, t- tells me a lot about their confidence level in, in J.T. Shroud. And I know people are saying, well, Pruitt came out and said that, you know, Shroud made a bad decision, made a bad throw on his third snap, and they yanked him why don't they do that with when Garantano is late on throws or misses Juwan Jennings on a wheel route or those interceptions in the end zone? It, it, it's a longer leash because, uh, I, I, you know, I think what they did with Stroud against South Carolina was, I don't want to say it's short, just short of a miracle, but that what they got out of him was, I don't even know if that's realistic to expect that on a week to week basis. I was he's just, surprised he's not to that point yet. Um, I mean, he, he makes that throw across his body that Pruitt mentioned. And then, uh to start the second half he he yeah. almost threw a pick where he didn't see the safety rolling over when he took a shot down the field so uh and west didn't see the safety either because he thought it was a good throw as
1: soon as he released it, i went man great throw and you guys were like idiot i didn't see like, the safety either
0: the safety in the hands um but yeah i mean that's just i i just i don't uh i, I that we, we kind of said going into the south carolina game that that shroud has his uh, his flaws and, and that there was concerns about what he could do from a lot of different standpoints, his decision-making, his command, and, and how to you know, running the offense, getting the offense into the right plays and lining up and all that stuff. Uh, those are all question marks with him, but they made it work against South Carolina. Um, you know, would they have won that game playing him the whole way? I I don't, I don't know. Um, there, there is no way to know, but, but uh, I, I do think clearly um, Tennessee felt that, that playing Garantana was the, um what was the you know was the best move for him and and he's played a big role and and then winning three of the past four and i don't i know he's got his mistakes i know some people are still hung up about what happened at alabama but uh the bottom line is is uh, and i think you hit a lot of these points in your column west he is what he is at this point uh he's going to do some good things he's going to do some things that infuriate you but at the end of the day i think when brian Maurer isn't available, um you know, he's, he's your best chance and your best chance of winning games.
2: Yeah. I, I think that's, that's all fair. And, uh, you know, Shroud. you know, in, in addition to what, you know, I think, I think people have kind of gotten, uh, their impression of Shroud shaped by one great throw he made on the deep ball to Marquez Callaway against South Carolina. You know, he didn't even play most of that game. So I, uh, you know, people I think gathered from that performance that, Hey, tennessee he's got three quarterbacks who could, could win them games in the sec and that that might be true but like you said i just don't think the level of trust that's there with garantano and and even with Maurer, even though he's been a little more turnover prone when he's played i don't think that same level of trust exists just yet with with jt shroud and um and I, I still don't think we've seen him you know truly play enough to really know what they have in him And and that's you know something tennessee's coaches clearly have decided they aren't ready to, to put him in. And, and, and again, yeah, the, the decision to put a essentially one-handed Jarrett Garantano in there over him does speak volumes, I think. And that is a, a sign of where this staff kind of, kind of views that situation. So I, I don't think anyone should be expecting Shrout to, to, to take the reins anytime soon. Uh, it's really interesting to me. And I wonder if the plan was this all along. I mean, I, it sounded like the plan was maybe to, to give Shrout a little more time to yes, play I agree with than that. that. But I, don't, but I don't think they plan to let him go the distance unless he just caught fire early on because uh, you know, one throw essentially was enough to get Garantano in the game. And, and again, it was a short leash, like Patrick said, but I, it sounded like the plan was maybe to get Garantano in there at some point or another. So they've almost been using shroud as kind of, uh, you know, some, some people were discussing this on Twitter during the game as kind of an opener, yeah. uh, the way the Tampa Bay Rays and some baseball teams have been, you know, using relief pitchers to start games and then bring in a, a starter to pitch several innings off the bench. It's kind of the way they've handled the quarterback situation in the last two weeks, whether that was by design or not. So. Uh, it, it's interesting they've done that. I think, you know, against South Carolina, maybe that was by design. This one felt a little more organic that they handled it that way. But regardless, it's, uh, I think it's a pretty clear sign that, you know, Shrout's not a guy they want to play the distance, uh, as, especially in a meaningful game. So with three SEC games coming up down the stretch, I think you're clearly going to see as much of Garantano and Maurer as possible, depending on their health and, and how they manage their uh, injuries and return and return from injuries in Maurer's case. So, uh, we'll, we'll see who they go with this week, but I certainly don't think you're going to see uh, JT Shroud take over that job anytime soon based on what we saw Saturday night because there's clearly just a level of trust there with Garantana that's not there with Shroud right now. And, and obviously they love have to get Mauer back soon too.
1: Yeah, and here, here's where I am on this I think that. We were all a little bit surprised with Maurer. And, and I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you, you probably are thinking, well, you idiots are the same ones who said that Tennessee had to go with Garantano the whole way and couldn't go to to, to Maurer to begin with. And, and and here's why I think this might be different. Here, here, here's my take on this. Maurer and Shrout both make bad decisions with their arms at times. And both guys tend to make some mistakes in, in bunches. The difference is that Shrout probably has the the better, like in terms of just pure arm talent, he's probably got the stronger arm, um, but Maurer's a little bit more consistently accurate. And and more importantly to me, Maurer can do things athletically with his legs that Shrout can't do. So when Maurer's out there, he can make plays. Sometimes when plays aren't there, just kind of his, his natural instincts, and that's not a dynamic that Shrout gives you. Shrout's kind of a classic drop back, throw it a little bit, uh, when he gets in rhythm, he can really sling it. And I think he's a guy who's a nice player. I don't think he's a bad player. I just think this is not at all the same situation as it was with Maurer because Maurer gives you more with his legs, and that's not something that that Shroud does. So I think that game to me looked pretty early, guys. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I know you will, and I know Pat especially would love to do that. But I, I think that when you look at – that game, it looked pretty clear pretty early to me that UAB was not going to win that game unless Tennessee gave UAB that game. And I think after he watched that first throw across the field, I think Pruitt said, You know what? I'm not going to, I'm not ready to do this right now. Just put Jared out there. And I think he felt like Garantano would at least maybe only open the door halfway and, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave the door wide open. And I think he thought maybe with shroud that had a chance to happen.
2: Yeah. And, and I, you know, again, I think it goes back to last year in a way, even though Garantano has not been quite as uh risk averse this year with the ball, which I thought he, he almost was completely risk averse at times last year, very safe.
1: Yes. Would too often safe. go to
2: the, ch- would go to the check down over the, over the pass over the middle or down the field. Uh, if there was any any tight coverage uh, across you know across the field, he would just find the checkdown guy a lot of times, and that I think led to a lot of trust from Jeremy Pruitt and, and that staff. You know, this year Garantano's had a few more interceptions, including that one Saturday, which he was not happy with, obviously, and neither was Jeremy Pruitt for you know understandable reasons. You're taking points off the board, throwing it to, throwing it into tight coverage at that point uh, in a drive, so not not ideal. But you know, even with that, I think there's more trust that he's not going to make those kinds of plays all the time. Uh, and, and seeing that one throw from shroud, I think reminded Jeremy Pruitt of that and said, Hey, let's, let's get him out of there. And then at, that was the inter- interesting thing to me after the game was that Jeremy Pruitt sort of said, you know, we, we were going to use, he, he, I forget exactly how he said it, but he, you know, essentially said they were planning to use Garantano almost situationally from that point on when they got good field position like that, that they were, you know, if they had a short field, again, it was going to be Garantano, is what it sounded like. Uh, and that, that says to me, and that it kept happening. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you're looking for a guy that's going to go out there and not turn it over, they clearly think that's Garantano right now, given those two options. So uh, I, I think that that's very telling and, and, and yeah, they, they, they see shroud as obviously having some talent and being able to do some things. And, and I was, I was going to point out a few minutes ago, Wes, that he actually did make one play with his legs to pick up a first down Saturday have a, night. Yeah, and,
1: he, and he got in front of the sticks this time, which was a nice step yeah. in the right direction.
2: So he's, so he's not a statue back there, as most quarterbacks these days aren't. Everybody's playing these zone read systems at high school, and so they all can run at least a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's not quite as dynamic of a runner as Maurer, but he does bring some things to the table. He has a nice arm uh, that can sometimes get him in trouble, I think. When you have an arm that that has some, some life to it, you're going to probably make some riskier throws that uh, just don't love to see. So as a, as a young quarterback, you're going to take some chances, and, and that's not the kind of guy that Tennessee wanted in this game. And I I think that probably was the right call in, in this kind of situation. And let's face it, Tennessee's going to have more games like that down the stretch against some teams that, that don't score a ton of points. Usually the Vanderbilts and Kentucky's they're going to need to play some conservative games. Probably uh, if they're not having Brian Maurer out there, Maurer the one guy who maybe gives you something different on offense. But if, if it's not Maurer, you know, against Kentucky or against the Vanderbilt, I think you're probably going to want Garantano out there because he gives you the best chance of playing a turnover free type game. And it's very clear. The numbers say it, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's mentioned this multiple times. The numbers last year nationally suggested that if, if you don't turn the ball over, you have a, what's the, no, no, he, I'm not sure he's quoted the exact number. But some, 80%. Some,
1: like If you don't turn it over, it's like an 80% chance of winning.
2: Yeah, and, and he's clearly lived by that number. Defensive coaches often do that, and and Tennessee's numbers have shown that there's a lot to that this year, too, because when Tennessee's won the turnover battle, they're 3-0 and this year. Uh, and in games where they haven't turned it over, uh, I think they're, they're maybe two and zero. I can't remember if there was maybe, maybe a game they lost that uh, they they didn't turn it over. But for the most part, when you don't turn it over, good things happen. And then they're they're clearly going to try to uh, ride that recipe all the way. And I think clearly Garantano gives them a better chance of playing that way.
0: Yeah, and I think the the question a lot of people had was, well, Maurer practiced all week. He's cleared to play. Why isn't he playing? Uh, cl- clearly, they are playing it very caution, uh, precautionary with him. I think, um, I, I still think they're treading lightly with, with Maurer and, and we don't know what all, uh, you know, went into their decision. It does sound like, you know, they kind of felt like maybe he wasn't completely ready physically. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong based on what Pruitt yeah, said after the game. I, I
1: think, I think they, they just, they weren't able to get him enough reps during yeah. practice, to where they felt like with the time off and with the, the head injuries and or head things that had happened, I think that combined they wanted to make sure he had a lot more practice time before they put him out there. That's that's the impression I got.
0: Yeah, and and that's the thing with Garantano is even though he's you know one handed and you know he even said after the game he was just now starting to get you know feeling back into his fingers, he doesn't need to take a bunch of practice reps. He's like the uh, the veteran quarterback in the NFL. Yes, uh, that doesn't you know is questionable on every injury report. Yeah. he', he, your he, he limited he, he, participation, you know, all that stuff.
1: Reminds me of Swain, his senior year, Pat, when, and Swain and I've talked about this, where he kind of had an arrangement with Philip Fulmer all year that his ankle had gotten to the point that it was so bad that he would be out there every single day when the media was out there for stretching and everything. And then as soon as the media left, he went right back to the training table and Fulmer was like, I'll see you on Saturday. Just get ready.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the thing, you know, he doesn't need as many of those reps and, um you know that's probably why they gave a lot of them to mauer and strott last week i again I, I would think Maurer would be available and and you know i i think if he's healthy enough and ready enough then he's he's your starting quarterback because he i think he all things equal he gives you the best chance to win if he's available but um based on kind of what happened you know based on what's happened with him and you know maybe potentially two concussions or two head and neck injuries in two weeks i think you know Tennessee's playing it safe playing it caution with him you know cautionary with him and um and, and so but i do think there was confu- some confusion because they said he was cleared he practiced all week pretty even went into into the you know into detail on wednesday saying oh we gave him about 40 percent of the practice rep shot got 50 you know all that kind of stuff so uh, i think that was also probably some of the uh i don't want to say angst maybe angst is the good word um for, for Tennessee fans who are tired of seeing them trot Garantano out there, you thought, okay, he's had a hand injury. He's probably not going to be available. Maybe only emergency guy, and yet
2: he's out there on the yeah. second season. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll go to the maybe game. that's where some of the Yankees started.
1: Yeah. And, and go ahead,
2: Ryan. I was going to say, I also think just, you know, what what he went through, you know, we still haven't gotten – aside from sort of an off the cuff comment from Jeremy Pruitt after the Alabama game, when Mauer was injured for the second consecutive week, we really haven't gotten confirmation of exactly what the injury was to Brian Mauer, but I still think the fact that he went to see a specialist at Vanderbilt medical center the following week after that injury suggests there are clearly some, I mean, as you would think after
1: and had a new helmet
2: back to back concussions. Yeah. I mean, some serious concerns there. And even if he has been cleared to play, I think it might be one of those situations where you just want to give him a little more time to recover from that. And ideally, you wanted to get through the UAB game without playing it. Now, now this week, I think we'll get much more clarification on his, what actually the status is with him, you know, as with head injuries and any medical situation like that, coaches might not necessarily be revealing everything about his status, but I think this, this week will be telling if he doesn't play against Kentucky, uh, I think that that could be an indication that maybe he hasn't been fully cleared, but if he's back out there, I think it might've just been a situation where they were trying to give him an extra week of rest, if at all possible. And uh, you know, maybe use him in an emergency situation if the game got close, but otherwise try to rest him again.
1: Before we switch gears here and talk recruiting, guys, I do I do want to mention this. If you want to talk about some some concerning stats from that game, uh, this was the second consecutive game that Tennessee won pretty comfortably, uh, despite having an average uh, average yards to go on third down that was higher than the opposition. Uh, that that's not good. You you don't want to be in that position. Tennessee, uh, the average third down distance to go for the Vols in that game was 8.2 which is not good. UAB was 8.1. Uh, and also, um, Tennessee's kind of the first down average yards per play. UAB 4.8, Tennessee 4.5. Uh, a lot of things got masked in that game because uh, Tennessee was able to force so many turnovers, which is good, but you're, you're not – you're not going to be able to count on that every week. They're going to have to play better offensively than they did in that game. And I know it was thirty to nothing when Tennessee took its starters out of the game. I know that, and I know that the stats would have looked a little bit differently if Tennessee had finished the game with the first teamers on each side of the ball. So, so let's take that into account here, and that every game is is kind of its own. You know, every game's kind of its own thing; it has its own flavor, as good old Mike Deboard used to say. And that one took the flavor of, okay, UAB is going to just put this one on a platter. Let's let, let's let's not do too much. Let's just let's just win this game and get out of here and try to get healthy. And, and that's what they did. But those numbers are a concern to me. You know, it was interesting, Ryan. Though in that game was that I, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I really am not. Um, but yes, you are uh, only on
4: officiating, right? Not
1: uh, you know, no, not really. I'm not even. I don't think. I don't think <laughs> officials have uh, bias. I think they're just bad. A lot of them are just old and bad at their jobs and need to give their jobs to younger people who see things better. But um, I, I think that. Sorry, I don't want to sound like an ageist, but I'm just calling it <laughs> how I see it. I'm tired of seeing some of those same old faces out there every week and, and not doing their job. But bottom line is, Tennessee was a lot more active throwing the football to the tight end. On Saturday, all three of, of Tennessee's three top tight ends all caught a pass, at least one pass in that game. Uh, and, and Jacob bo- Warren, yeah, and Jacob Warren too. I mean, they, they. I wonder, Ryan, could there have been a reason why they were so adamant about getting the ball to the tight end in that game? Uh,
2: th- there there might have been. Um, you know, we'll, well, I don't think you'll ever get Jeremy Pruitt to acknowledge. Oh it gosh, publicly, no. Even even a year from now, uh, even if Darnell Washington makes it to Tennessee, but the fact that Washington, a five star tight end from las vegas one of tennessee's longtime top targets was back on campus that might have given tennessee a little extra incentive they needed it to to work the tight ends into the passing game i I have been told that that is one of the factors as a lot of tight ends do that he has been considering that he's uh that he and his his coaches have been sort of keeping an eye on the teams that he's considering and you know how much they throw to the tight end how, how often they're playing two tight ends things like that and and certainly Tennessee, I think I think you saw a good bit of that in this game. You saw Austin Pope out there quite a bit in two tight end sets, which they've I think done throughout the season. But you saw them throw it to Dominic Wood Anderson a little bit more, and you saw them throw it to uh, Jacob Warren and Andrew Craig on uh, on a late drive. So uh, to get those guys a, a combined six catches for I believe 70 yards in that game, that was definitely a, a step forward for the tight ends and something I think Darnell Washington at least noted uh, when we spoke with him on Sunday for uh, for a quick update after the visit. But he. He's someone that I think still is in play for Tennessee. You know, we, we mentioned that slow start to the season hurt Tennessee with a lot of the five stars they were involved with. Washington is one that they maybe uh, still have a realistic shot at. I think they've kind of always been laying in the weeds for him. George has been thought of as the favorite for the past couple months, and, and they probably still are right up there. But if there's, a, if there's a, an upset possible, I think Alabama and Tennessee might be the two teams to really watch. He's still going on an official visit to Alabama next weekend. But the good news for Tennessee, and if this happens, this is where they've got a shot, this was an unofficial visit. He was just in town, as he said, kind of a laid-back trip for almost a vacation, he said, uh, because he recently broke his uh, his hand, and he's going to have to sort of pad that up and just play play a lot on defense down the stretch for his team. Uh, but he's he's sort of viewed this as a break from that and just a chance to have some fun, and he's he's maybe coming back to Tennessee on an official visit. If that official visit happens, and especially if it happens in December, just before the early signing period, um, right before he announces a decision in early January at the Under Armour All-America game, that that could bode pretty well for Tennessee. So I think that one's not over yet, and the Vols have done uh, just about everything possible now, getting him on campus four times since last year. That's a lot from where he's coming that from. One. That's but a lot. For a guy from Las Vegas, that, that's impressive. Now, he's also a guy that's taken a lot of trips. He's been to Georgia multiple times. He's been to Alabama. You know, He's been to a lot of places already. So the fact that they've gotten him on campus isn't necessarily the the, you know, an indication they're just ahead of teams, but certainly the fact they've gotten him on campus that many times already suggests there is serious interest. And I think Tennessee and, and Brian Niedermeyer in particular the tight ends coach, he's done a great job keeping Tennessee in that battle. And it's obviously a big time battle. And even though it's been complicated by the fact that, you know, Eric Gilbert, the five-star from Marietta, Georgia did not go to Alabama. Didn't yeah. pick Georgia either. Now Alabama and Georgia are probably going to slug it out for, for Darnell Washington because he's the top tight end on, on both of their boards. Um, but at the same time, Tennessee still stayed in there the whole time and, and has a shot too. So it's going to be a fierce battle down the stretch. But Tennessee has done a nice job and, and still has a chance here down the stretch.
1: Yeah, there are some freak tight ends in this class, man. Those those copped up really are. The, the, there's there's some. I mean, and maybe this is where a lot of guys who used to play basketball are focusing more on football now because their size is a more of an advantage in that game. It's another story for another topic for another day. But well, and, and I just find Washington that interesting too.
2: He's he's rated as an athlete by 24 7 sports because he's listed as six foot seven and a half 261 pounds uh and he's He's listed as an athlete because our analysts believe he, he might even be capable of being an elite offensive tackle could play on the defensive line he can do a lot of things there aren't many tight ends that come out of high school at 261 pounds or so that are that athletic so he's just a big bodied guy who could do a lot of things but everyone's recruiting him as a tight end and he's a He's a pretty special one, no doubt. And whoever gets him will be getting a, a stud with a with a pretty bright future, obviously.
1: Did, did you say versatile athlete? That Jeremy Pruitt's ears just perked up. He really likes <laughs> no those guys. What What are some other news, Ron? I know he that Darnell uh, Washington wasn't the only visitor this weekend. Who else was in town, and uh, what's the significance of that?
2: Yeah, some some pretty interesting visitors. They had they had Desmond uh, Tisdale in in town, the four star linebacker athlete from from down in Georgia that Tennessee offered recently, and that. That looks like a visit that at least moved the moved the needle a bit for Tennessee, so that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, D-Beck, with the athlete from Florence, Alabama, was back in town for the first time in a while, uh, and Tennessee's kind of gotten back involved there recently, so he's that, that's certainly an interesting visit. And then they had an official visitor, Kyrie Miller, a, a three-star offensive lineman from Texas. Uh, that's one of one of several offensive linemen Tennessee still recruiting, still a, a guy to keep an eye on down the stretch, obviously, with that that being an official visit, the Vols are, are pretty actively recruiting him. So we'll, we'll, see where things go there, but uh, yes, yeah, so, some definitely some interesting names and even some kind of newer names on the board, uh, guys like Tisdell, who just got an offer a couple weeks ago, uh, getting those guys in town sort of made this a, a pretty interesting weekend recruiting wise for what people would have thought was not a, a, a marquee weekend in terms of visits with UAB in town. Um, and obviously the, the big thing now coming out of the weekend will be Jay Hardy uh, announcing his decision on Wednesday, the four-star, Defensive lineman from Macaulay School in Chattanooga, set to decide on on Wednesday morning and announced uh, bright and early at 8 o'clock at his school in a ceremony uh, that that has been planned for a couple weeks now, and Tennessee's been the favorite here for a long time. They had him on an official visit uh, just a a little more than a week ago. Auburn hosted him on the final visit uh, before the decision over the weekend. You know, Auburn, probably the team that was the biggest competition for Tennessee uh, down the stretch, and we'll see if the Tigers did enough to... To maybe overcome what's been viewed as the, the longtime favorite, I think Auburn felt somewhat optimistic about its chances going into the weekend, but everything else is kind of pointed to to Tennessee being the team to beat. So, uh, so still maybe some uh, some uncertainty there coming out of the weekend uh, on on Auburn's end, but I think a lot of people have felt for a while that that Hardy was was likely to end up at Tennessee, and we'll see if that holds true. They, they've had him on campus eight times since uh, since January, so they've obviously gotten. You know, you, we always say follow the visits and recruiting. That that tells the story a lot of times, and if that's the case, that certainly bodes well for Tennessee with Jay Hardy. So that's a, an announcement to watch, and obviously one Tennessee really needs to get with only one defensive lineman in this class and Hardy being a longtime top target. Uh, that, that's one the Vols' need to land if they want to really get the ball rolling here in recruiting and, and kind of keep it going after they landed a few other in-state guys uh, from Memphis and the, the, the Whitehaven trio just a couple weeks ago. This would be a really nice cherry on top to, to kind of get things rolling here, uh, leading up to the stretch run uh, of that early signing period in December.
1: And as we all know, with only a couple of exceptions, I can think of off the top of my head a Darius Bowman and Von Bell, perhaps, as two of the rare exceptions. Tennessee yep. in, tends to run game at Metro Chattanooga. That's a very, very orange town in Tennessee, oftentimes. Bats a higher percentage there than it does in Knoxville. Just, just I That's mean, t- Tennessee does really well in Chattanooga historically. So I probably just gave it the kiss of death right there, but you know, Tennessee's always <laughs> so you, been, you in-
2: can send your hate tweets to at rest Rucker 24, seven. If, uh, if it doesn't go Tennessee's way, but no, I mean, you've got a family connection there too. I mean, something else to keep in mind, Philip Fulmer's the AD. And the last few times Jay Hardy has visited Tennessee, he's talked with Philip Fulmer because he remembers Fulmer, recruiting his brother kevin yep. cooper who played fullback for the vols um so when you know philip fulmer just got a picture or, or jay hardy's got a picture he mentioned where during an end home visit or one of one of one of his brother's visits to tennessee you know there there's a you know six-year-old or something jay hardy posing in a picture with philip fulmer i mean this is a guy with pretty pretty orange blood in that regard you know not a guy who's just dead set on playing at tennessee obviously because he's kept an open mind but he, he's he's had some some pretty pretty strong Tennessee connections throughout his recruitment, so that's at least something to consider too. So certainly there's a lot of reasons to think Tennessee has a real shot at landing him, and it's a top top 100 player nationally and, and in a 24-7 sports ranking, so it would be a huge deal if they could get a guy like that on the defensive line.
1: Pat, before we step away here, I feel like we've been ignoring you for a while. Are you still alive?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Do you have any more thoughts? Do you have, have you given any thoughts to giving us more personal information about what goes on at your house? <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> erase all pictures of Ron. <laughs> ryan won't get that because he's not seen parks
1: that's true what a God. what's wrong with you ryan i don't
2: understand We're, this. we don't have enough time
1: you're very, you're very right about that. And speaking of time, we do need to uh, step out of here because we gotta, we gotta step away, gotta pay some bills, listen to some, some products and services and ads and all those things, and we'll come back in just a second to bring in uh, our other resident moron, Grant Ramey. We're gonna talk a little bit of, a uh, little bit of Tennessee football, and then we're gonna talk a lot of Tennessee basketball because there is some, uh, some, some not so great news there for the Vols heading into uh, the regular season, which starts uh, here tomorrow against UNC Asheville. So there's plenty to but, discuss there. But what?
0: But Grant Grant has seen Parks and Rec, so he's not that bad.
1: And Letterkenny, so he has seen the important things and the office. And the office. He he's seen the important things and and all the Rockies. Now we've gotten him seeing the Rockies. We've gotten him to see Point Break. We're, we're we're making a man out of him.
3: You Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Shank the other night. Yeah,
1: Roadhouse. Shawshank. We we've kind of. You know that you give them water and they grow up. They become men. This is this has been quite the uh, quite the quite the, the the few months here for Ramy. But uh, I, we're gonna come back unbelievably
2: and talk. He lived that long without seeing Shawshank.
1: It is unbelievable, right? It's man. I got another thing to talk to him about here in just a second. So we're gonna step away and we're gonna talk a little bit of hoops uh, with Euros Plafitsch and all that, and we're gonna talk a little bit of football. And who knows, maybe the maybe
3: the meaning of life. #Hashtag ad. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
1: Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products and services and in-house ads and and all that other good stuff that you may have heard during that commercial break a second ago guys uh we're back now it's still me west rucker but now we got grant ramey in the house from uh Goval's 24 7's blunt county satellite office down there in Mariville what's up grant
4: i'm surviving
1: yeah what's going on about the same thing over here man about the same thing barely but 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 that's what we're doing grant um Tennessee, but we're going to talk a lot in this segment, obviously, about basketball. There, there's big news with Euros Plastic and that kind of ongoing situation. We're going to get to all that in just a second. But first, you obviously were at the football game with the rest of us on Saturday. You you cover that beat as well. What were your thoughts on that game? To me, it kind of seemed like um, kind of a workmanlike win. Maybe nothing to get excited about either way. To quote our favorite show, Letter Kenny, "Ain't nothing to get too excited about." Uh, they they kind of got through it and got done what they needed to get done.
4: Yeah, that's that's a good way to, to put it, like uh, keep uh, kind of keep stepping forward, keep moving forward. Uh, when you look at the last four weeks, what they've done uh, with three wins and the only loss being at number one Alabama, and as many uh, injury questions as they've had, as, as much quarterback stuff has been going on, uh, it's been pretty impressive that they've been able to uh, come out and do what they do. They just kind of keep taking the steps forward that they need to take. They've set themselves up with three games in November now left on the schedule where uh, you got to win two of them to get back to a bowl game, and when you look back at that one-four start, uh, talking about a bowl game seemed like a pipe dream. But here they are; they've they've kind of turned it around. They're pretty good up front on both lines of scrimmage. They've done what they need to do in the run game, and and got some chunk plays when they need to do. And they got a pretty good defense right now with with takeaways and and shutting down opponents. So uh, it's it's a football team that's kind of hitting its stride at the right time, and uh, it's making it a lot easier to forget about Georgia State and what happened against BYU. Uh, and if you went back eight weeks ago and, and said that you know something would be happening later in the season that would make you kind of forget about those performances, uh, it's pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, and it seemed like you know I was kind of joking that that, that was a people complaining about a thirty to seven Tennessee win it's kind of made it a throwback Saturday a, a little bit in some regards because uh, you know it's like hey they they won right remember when they were one and four they're 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 winning now but you know it, it was interesting because I think it's good that. You know, Tennessee found a way to kind of win that game pretty comfortably against a team that hadn't played a good schedule, but a team that was also 6-1 and one and a team that I still insist has a pretty darn good defense. Uh, that... UAB offense put that UAB defense in some terrible situations, and that defense kind of kept answering the bell and and keeping the Blazers respectable in that game. And, and um, you know, Tennessee kind of kept Marino, their big guy there, up front silenced, but a couple of the other defensive linemen went out there fair especially and just had a monster game. And, you know, they, they made some plays and they hung around. Um, and, and I think Tennessee did the smart thing – by getting through the game without playing Brian Maurer and still finding a way to kind of win comfortably. I know that Garantano didn't play very well. Uh, Shroud obviously irritated Pruitt really early in the game, and so he was out for a while. But I, it, was, it wasn't it was impressive, and I don't want people to get you know too excited about it because I'm not defending the performance, Grant, because it, it wasn't good. But it was good enough. It kind of kept the chain moving. To me, it kind of felt like one of those, uh, you know, you're watching a really good show, and it has a couple of, you know, episodes in the middle of the season that, that don't really, they're not great. They just kind of move the plot along. That seemed like maybe what Saturday was. It just kind of, it was enough. It was business-like.
4: Yeah, it was a it was a kind of game that, you know, on August 31st, in hindsight, Tennessee fans were begging for. They just wanted to roll out and take care of business against Georgia State. Uh, and obviously that game went, you know, really poorly. Uh, and it bit Tennessee for a while. It bit Tennessee the next week. It bit Tennessee over the first month. So, uh, yeah, it is easy to kind of kind of get complacent, I guess, after winning a few games and acting like it's kind of starting to feel normal again, uh, but it is still a big step forward. The, 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 what you mentioned about Brian Maurer was probably one of the bigger takeaways for me is uh, you can play that game without him and not really sweat a whole much about that game. I mean, you get four takeaways in the first half. Bryce Thompson goes off. He gets those three interceptions, gives the, the offense short fields, and uh, they did have to stop and kick field goals, which is disappointing for that offense. You want to score touchdowns, but uh, you got a pretty good kicker in Brent Staglin, and, and he he connected on 53 yard or 36 yard or whatever it was on the other ones. Uh, and you just take care of business and you move on. You you go to Kentucky next week, uh, trying to get to a fifth win. You get a bye week, and then you got two weeks to uh, try to get that sixth win. If if they can take care of business the way they did Saturday, uh, they're headed in the right direction.
1: Yeah, you know, may, maybe Tennessee's red zone offense was just kind of having its uh, Euros Plavcic protest game, uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 it, which is actually I funny. Yeah, because Tennessee's Tennessee's red zone offense statistically improved Saturday. That that tells you maybe how bad it was. Uh, but but let's get to this basketball news because uh, Tennessee unveiled uh, that news over the weekend that not only has Euros plavsic been uh, wasn't he was not only initially denied a waiver to play immediately. But Tennessee went through the first appeal process and also got shut down there. So Tennessee did an unusual thing Saturday. The Vols came out and released a statement that was, um, as far as public statements from a university regarding the NCAA go, that was kind of coming out with both barrels there. That that was at least one and a half barrels. Uh, they came out and were not not pleased with this at all. And for those of you who haven't been following it, Euros Plastich. Uh, is is a seven foot one uh, native of Serbia who finished his high school career in Chattanooga there at Hamilton Heights, uh, the the Christian kind of prep school down there in Chattanooga. He goes to Arizona State uh, for one year, does not play, uh, and then the coach that he went to go play there for uh, ends up leaving the program. So Euros wants to come back home, and and he considers the Knoxville or, or or East Tennessee area home. And Tennessee thought it had a kind of a slam dunk case here to get him eligible because the NCAA has been you know, granting more of these things this season. But, you know, it, just the way things go with Tennessee, uh, it, it hasn't worked out. Grant, to the best that you can tell us, why is why did this go the way it did so far and why is Tennessee so furious about it? What what do they see in this case that makes them think this is wrong?
4: I think the lack of kind of what they've heard back is kind of what's infuriated them. You're right about them expecting it to kind of be a slam dunk if you go back to the summer and look at the stuff Rick Barnes said about it. He talked about it like it was almost like a no-brainer. Like if these waivers exist, they exist for people like Eurosh who are trying to kind of get back to quote-unquote uh, quote home. Um, you know, if you look at the situation, Tennessee had a Serbian graduate assistant the first two years under Rick Barnes. I'm not going to try to butcher his name. His sure. first name was Draws, and yes. he went by Draws. He went to Cleveland State, and Eurosh committed there. He was going to go to Cleveland State to follow him uh then draws, gets on staff uh with Hurley at Arizona State. So Eurosh breaks that commitment, goes to Arizona State, signs with them. Then Draws is off that staff after the last season and Eurosh is on the move and he's trying to get back to, like you said, Chattanooga, uh where he has some connections, East Tennessee where uh, obviously draws is connected to the Tennessee program for the first year. So it just made perfect sense. Like there's coaching changes. He's trying to get back closer to home because of those changes because uh that's the reason he went to Arizona State. And as far as I can tell, they haven't got a ton of feedback. I asked for an explanation uh, on Saturday from somebody at Tennessee, and they basically said they hadn't got anything back yet. And, and when you look at that statement, it's one thing to say uh, you're extremely disappointed. It's one thing to say you're stunned. But it's another thing to basically question the NCAA and their their real interest in the welfare of student athletes, which is what they did. Uh, that statement from Philip Fulmer, and I guarantee you, it was straight out of the mouth of Rick Barnes because he just doesn't care at this point to say what he feels uh, and does not worry about the blowback Um, that, you know, that's what they said. They're extremely disappointed and quite frankly stunned. And then later in the statement, they questioned the NCAAs uh, how this aligns with uh, the betterment, the welfare of the student athlete, which uh, like you mentioned, when in terms of statements, that is a very, uh, very you know, going out there and, and trying to take on the NCAA. And there, there is, from what I understand, an avenue for them to appeal again. And I don't know if that involves getting an attorney and, and doing it like that. Uh, I, I assume there's very little chance that this gets overturned at this point because it was denied and then it was appealed and denied again. Uh, so, obviously, when you're going with another appeal, uh, I'm sure your chances get smaller and smaller as you go. Uh, but yeah, it's it's that was not the news I don't think anybody expected, uh, anybody inside or outside the Tennessee program. Uh, but that's the NCAA for you. You never know kind of what you're going to get. It seems like a grab bag, uh, just kind of a, a crapshoot of decisions, and, and here we are.
1: Yeah, it seems to me like Saturday w- was also Tennessee now. It, 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 I might be wrong about this, but I think Tennessee is almost trying to get this part of this trial in the in, in the public opinion now. Uh, get it out there in the public discourse because i I think they're they're kind of maybe hoping to apply some pressure that way to see if that works i think they tried at first to kind of handle this internally and and just sort of you know move the process along get it done and and now i think after getting that appeal denied i think they've said screw it now we're going to go at them Uh, and and i've said it before i I don't know what uh uh you know financial situation is i i don't pretend to know um but if they could find a lawyer uh, i still think if you threaten to sue the ncaa about this uh, the ncaa tends to cower when, when that happens because they know that in court, they almost never win because their business model is a racket. So uh, that that would be my advice on the situation. I don't know what that's worth at all. Um, but but, Grant, do you think it's possible, or have you heard anything about there being some sort of a holdup from Arizona State's end? Because I know with Aubrey Solomon, there was in the football side with Tennessee, there were questions about how much Michigan played a part in making that decision take so long. And Have you heard anything about Arizona State kind of getting in the way of this, or or anything to that sort?
4: I think that has to be it. When you when you try to connect the dots, when you when you wonder about what's going on, uh, Avina Westbrook got denied her waiver of eligibility at UConn uh, over the weekend as well and, and there's a story out there on ESPN uh, about Gino O'Reilly calling Phil Fulmer and asking him to support this move more to try to get that decision overturned. And I think when these waivers are denied, I think the the kind of the connection you have to make is the school that the players leaving from didn't cooperate. And I think if both sides are pushing for a waiver to go through like Tennessee did with DJ Burns, like Tennessee did with Derek Walker, uh, like like Jeremy Pruitt has talked about doing with players that leave his program, I think that waiver uh, becomes more of that slam dunk that you talked about earlier. I I think uh, when this gets denied and you really don't have an explanation from anybody, you have to think it goes back to the, uh, to the Arizona state program. And I don't know what Hurley thought about Eurosh. I don't know where he, uh, kind of what kind of future he had in mind for him. Uh, but the fact is he, he redshirted. he sat out last year at Arizona state, so he can't use that redshirt again. He's denied eligibility. Uh, this just means it's taken a, a year away from his college basketball career. And I think that's what Tennessee so upset about. Obviously they need Eurosh uh, on this team. Oh, very no question. Badly. No question. Right, but I think they're more upset because Eurosh has to sit out and waste a year of his eligibility, uh, and that affects obviously his basketball future. He's not getting any younger, just like anybody else. He's a he's a redshirt freshman uh, this year. If he's if he's out, he'll start, uh, you know, as a redshirt sophomore next year and have three years to play. Uh, but this guy wants to play basketball for a living, just like everybody else, and I think that's what Tennessee is. Uh, most upset about is it's it's hurting the player that he has to sit out and you know he's going to he's going to practice for a year and risk injury and uh, you know, whatever. And he's not going to have a lot to show for it aside for sitting out for two straight years, uh, watching somebody play college basketball.
1: Before we move on and talk about the impact of this grant, is there any, any anything out there or anything that you've heard? And And I know that there are times where we hear things and maybe we don't hear them good enough to say anything publicly about them, but we hear things here and there. Is there anything we can say about what Tennessee is expecting at all regarding a timeline on this final appeal or what that process looks like?
4: I, I wouldn't expect it to be too delayed. I mean, it was delayed long enough. Uh, we're sitting here. They got a decision on Saturday, November second, and they start the season on Tuesday, November fifth. Uh, so I would expect, unless it does uh, involve some kind of you know attorneys and in kind of going that route. I don't. You know, I'm 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 not an expert by any means, or someone who is experienced in in trying to cover or uncover that uh, situation. But I would expect it to be a pretty quick timeline because you got to know something. Uh, sooner rather than later uh and it's got to be an expedited process with the regular season here and and you can't really drag your feet because uh if the decision were to get overturned then you're wasting that kid's time uh to start the season so i I would expect something uh soon i don't don't know if they really expect anything to change here they're just going to try to exhaust all avenues possible uh, but we'll see what happens
1: and I guess we need to. We definitely need to discuss. I was going to say I guess we need to. The, the fact is, we definitely need to discuss what kind of impact this has on Tennessee. And you know, if you wanted to put it very, very, very curt, if you wanted to be very curt about this, you would say, "Well, it's small, it's small ball time in Tennessee because this uh, this drastically changes kind of the look of, of Tennessee." This you know you take a seven foot one guy out of the mix and a guy who can move at that size uh, it drastically impacts your team now you're probably looking at um starting a a six foot six power forward in eve ponds and, and a six foot seven or six foot eight uh, big man and and john fulkerson at the five i mean that that kind of looks like where they might be right now and uh, if you want to play fast and you want to get some shots up, um, this looks like it's going to be the offense for you now, so it's going to be fun. Uh, but now I wonder how much this changes defensively things for Tennessee because I think there are games, Grant, where a guy like Zach Kent, who's six 6'11 or so, he has touch, he can shoot the ball from the perimeter, he can score with either hand, he, he can get some rebounds. I think there will be some games where, where he will be a pretty good fit, but I also think there's games – that if they're moving at a quick enough pace, I don't know that he can keep up with it. So they're going to have to kind of mix and match now. And it looks to me like you're you're going to see a small ball team now.
4: Yeah, I, I basically sat down Sunday morning and, and tried to kind of write, and uh, I did publish something on kind of the analysis of kind of how this impacts uh, Tennessee. And the more I kind of worked on it, the more it just became clear they need a little bit of something else from everybody, a little a little more. Uh, from just about everybody uh, involved. You mentioned small ball. The, they were already going to lean on the backcourt a ton uh, with the experience of Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden and the talent in Josiah Jordan-James. Uh, but now you're going to have to uh, rely on them that much more. They're going to have to do that much more. They're going to score that much more. They're going to have to run the basketball. They're going to play up-tempo uh, that much more because they don't have anybody that they can dump it in down low and, and expect to get a bucket. Uh, and then when you look at the post, uh, is John Fulkerson in your starting center? Uh, And if so, can he consistently produce? We haven't seen it uh, since before that injury. His freshman year kind of uh, changed everything uh, in terms of the trajectory uh, of his career. Who is Zach Kent and kind of what can we expect from him? Uh, He's got a really soft touch uh, touch on his jumper, uh, but he also moves around pretty stiff. And it looks like he's thinking, uh, at least it did in the exhibition uh, game last week, Looks like he's thinking on the floor kind of where he needs to be uh, and how he needs to get there. Uh, Eve Ponds. Uh, Rick has talked about Eve Pons in the past. If if the if the waiver did not go well with Eurosh, that was gonna make Eve be that power forward guy a lot more uh, opposed to maybe he'd be on the wing a little bit more if Eurosh was available. Uh, what can he do around the bucket? Can he rebound? Can he uh, block shots? Uh, you know, change shots in the post. That's that's a big thing. They need post scoring, they're gonna need a lot of rebounding too, because obviously when you lose a seven foot one center, uh, you lose a ton of that um go down the line you know zach kent john fulkerson eve ponds um who am i missing uh, Olivier yeah, Camois, olivier he's gonna have Camois. to do a ton off the bench and, and do something consistently uh drew pember <laughs> i don't know what their redshirt plans were with drew pember Devonte Gaines, but maybe that gets changed so uh, it changes just about something for everybody and everybody's going to do a little bit more to kind of make up for that absence.
1: Yeah, Grant, I see, I, I see looking from the outside and of course, you know, we'll see more as the as the season goes on, but I think this almost means Cam Watt at the five could be a thing that happens at times because he's just going to have to do it. I mean, the, the, you know, they didn't want to do it with sometimes with Grant Williams, but they did and... and you know, I think maybe you have to kind of look at the positives of it. You know, you look at like when, when the Warriors, for instance, had that murder ball lineup that had Draymond Green at center. I, I mean, you can give people some problems doing that, um, but you got you got to be able to play tough on the other end. And, and, and my question with Fulkerson, weirdly enough, Grant, I, I have kind of some faith in Fulkerson that he can be a guy who can get inside and get some buckets and do some of those things. I'm not worried about that. I know a lot of people are. For some reason, I'm not. Um, I just kind of have some faith in the guy that he can do some things. My biggest concern by far is I don't know that he can play 25, 30 minutes a game without being in foul trouble. I I just, the way he plays the game, you know, he kind of flails about a little bit there. He's always in the mix. He's kind of got that long lean body. He doesn't have much of a reputation yet in the game. So, so refs are going to call him a certain way. I think he's going to be in a lot of foul trouble. Yeah,
4: and that's one thing I was thinking about uh, as I was writing, uh, kind of trying to figure out what changes without Eurosh. Uh Fulkerson, I think he's a an attractive player if he's your sixth man off the bench. Yes. Uh, if he's a guy that comes in and brings energy and grabs some rebounds uh, and gets some easy buckets, some second-chance points, stuff like that, blocks some shots. Uh, but when you're talking about maybe he's your starting center and you're going to have to rely on him for 25 minutes a night, something like that, Uh, to avoid foul trouble, not only avoid foul trouble, but also consistently produce, Uh, that changes things. Eurosh being out, like we talked about, changes stuff for everybody. I think it changes the most for John Fulkerson because you're talking about maybe going from a bench piece uh, and somebody that brings energy off the bench, maybe your first big man uh, or the first guy off the bench, period, to your starting center and somebody that you're trying to rely on despite the fact that the last two years uh, you haven't seen a ton from him, uh, especially consistently, uh, except for foul trouble uh, and not being able to stay on the floor. So uh, there's there's somebody's going to have to step up. Uh, I'm sure Rick Barnes will juggle his starting five a, a million times over if he has to, to find the right combination. Uh, but they go into UNC Asheville Tuesday night at Thompson Bowling Arena Uh, with a lot of questions to answer
1: still. Yeah, and I do need to mention that. That is Tuesday night, the opener. They're they're playing a game on on Tuesday night, uh, hosting UNC Asheville in the opener at Thompson Bowling Arena. Then seven days later, uh, they'll host Murray State, which would have been a much more difficult game last year, if we're all being honest there. They had some player named John Morant. Maybe you've heard of him. I don't know. You probably have. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies fans certainly know all about him now. Um, You know, one of the most Promising young basketball players on the planet, uh, but you know th- the fact is the show must go on. This thing doesn't stop for anybody. And, and in basketball, you know, in football, when you lose a guy, y- you know, you've got eighty-five scholarships. It, it's going to hurt, but but it's okay. In basketball, you got thirteen scholarships, and if you lose a guy, especially a guy who does things that no one else on your roster maybe really can do, um, that 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 changes things quite frankly, and, and it, it, it makes things a lot more difficult. But the show must go on, and, Grant, they got to get ready to play. It's The season's here.
4: Yeah, it's here. You, you don't really have any time to waste either. Uh, you get a UNCA Asheville Tuesday, and then, as you mentioned, Murray State comes in uh, about a week later. And then on November 16th, uh, they go to Toronto to face Washington, and, and, and that's a uh, kind of a – there's a lot of talent on that Washington basketball team. Uh, they've recruited out there well, yeah, obviously, a c- couple A couple first-round uh, picks, yeah. Right, starting with Isaiah Stewart, and and frustratingly enough for Tennessee basketball fans, you're probably going to be facing uh, former Kentucky point guard Quade Green, who was uh, granted immediate eligibility for whatever reason, despite the fact that he played nine games last year at Kentucky and averaged eight points and, you know, 2.5 rebounds, whatever assists, played like 20 minutes a game for the first nine games of the year, and uh, for whatever reason, he transfers to Washington and and he gets cleared, and (laughs) Eurosh does not play a single second last year. Uh, and transfer it to Tennessee, and he can't get cleared. So, uh, that's the NCAA in a nutshell. But yeah, that, I mean, that's a first huge test, and it's it's a it's a first huge test in a really really tough non-conference schedule that includes, uh, you know, Wisconsin, uh, a star-studded Memphis team uh, with that class that Penny brought in, a really good Cincinnati team. Uh, I mean, you go down to to Florida uh, later later this month, and you face Florida State, and, and then the next day you'll face either VCU or Purdue. So. Uh, Rick Barnes loves to loves to schedule really tough. He's he's scheduled really tough, and uh, he's going to find out a lot about his team between now and Christmas.
1: Yeah, and, and I can I, I can probably answer that quad A green thing pretty quickly. Uh, John Calipari kind of has a, a Jeremy Pruitt approach to these kind of things. He, he he's a player's guy. And if he sees a guy who wants to transfer for whatever reason and, you know, Cal Perry's like, I can just go get another five star. I don't really care. Where do you want to go, son? <laughs> you want to go to Washington? OK, that's cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell the play whatever I need to tell him, because that's just that's just kind of how Cal rolls. And that's one of the reasons why players love him. But, you know, Cal, that, goes, Cal
4: goes to his five star vending machine, yeah. uh, puts a quarter in, hits the button. And there we go.
1: Yeah. And he goes, I'll, I'll take G6, G6. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. G6. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on hold on, G7's about an inch taller. Let's go G7, and then it pops out of the machine, and then then they move on. But, yeah, I mean, this changes things for Tennessee, but I'll tell you you who's not going to let Tennessee's players feel sorry about this is is Rick Barnes. Uh, He's a guy who his first couple years at Tennessee, they didn't have a lot of players in in a lot of ways, uh, but they competed every night. They played hard, And, and I'll tell you, I've said this again, I'll say this a million times, a backcourt with Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden and Josiah Jordan-James can win a lot of games. And I have seen teams that had much, much worse backcourts than that win a bunch of games. So you can do it. You just you, you have to get just enough from, from the guys in the frontcourt. They don't have to be great. Um, they just kind of got to play their role and keep the, keep the chain moving. And if they do, I still like this backcourt a lot. I think those guys, those guys can, can do some good things.
4: Yeah, and it's a really interesting dynamic, kind of from the uh, the Tennessee fan perspective, because obviously you got a ton of talent in the 2020 class uh, that's getting ready to sign here in a couple weeks when the the fall period opens, uh, and obviously the basketball program's in a really good place when you look at the last two seasons uh, and what they have coming in 2020, uh, and now here you are sitting with uh, Euros Plavich you know, p- uh, probably sidelined because of you know a really hard to understand NCAA decision. Uh, you have two veteran guards that have been here and helped kind of build this program into what it is. Uh, and you have a really talented five-star point guard, Josiah Jordan-James, who's, who's going to be an NBA draft pick either next June uh, or a June, you know, the next June following that, 2021. Whenever that is, he's going to be picked in the draft. Uh, the, the talent is there. They're going to run. It should be a fun, entertaining style of basketball. Uh, but it's, it's going to be an interesting season to see how it plays out because it's been a while since we've had this many questions about what this Tennessee basketball team is going to look like under Rick Barnes. And, and maybe they go back to that first two years when they didn't have a ton of talent, but they still kind of punched above their weight class, and, and maybe they surprised some people. Uh, but we're going to see what happens uh, starting Tuesday, and, uh, and then it's on.
1: I'll tell you, though, those teams had maybe one great guard Grant, this one's got two or three, so I think it might be a little bit different. But you're right. I think it's kind of fun, man. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's neat to cover that team the past couple of years. It was a special group of guys. They were great to deal with. You knew what you were going to get from them every night for the, for the most part, with few exceptions. Now it's kind of fun to see. It's kind of like a grab bag, which if you're Rick Barnes, probably drives you nuts. But for us covering it, hey, man, it could be fun. Yeah, different different team every night. It's, it's a handful of wild cards. You never know what to expect. Grant, appreciate your time, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna get us on out of here now. And, uh, and 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 as I just said a minute ago, just maybe kind of uh, maybe maybe kind of move the chain along. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, just move it. Keep moving in the right direction. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll do, guys. Thanks for tuning in. As always. Uh, You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. You can also find all of us all the time at twitter.com slash goboss247 and facebook.com slash goboss247 where Grant does an excellent, excellent job Running our Facebook page. You can also go straight to the source. If you want to get your water just directly from the source, go to govals 247com right now. Sign up for a VIP membership and you can get basically this podcast, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the Tennessee information you will ever want. Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, baseball, women's basketball, women's basketball recruiting, softball. We've got administrative news. We've got everything at GoValls247.com. And right now, as I mentioned earlier in the show, You can get free access, free access to CBS All Access. Get the premium VIP package for CBS All Access, which is a $100 value annually. You get that for free, for free, if you are a GoVols 24/7 VIP member, and you get that for life. That's not going anywhere, guys. That is ironclad, locked in. You get that for free for life as long as you are a 24/7 sports subscriber. So go do that, or. Or you're just wrong. And I I don't want to be that blunt about it, but I don't know any other way to put it. Go do that or you're foolish. Thanks, guys. We will see you, barring breaking news, on Thursday morning. See ya.